One, when the behavior is potentially dangerous. Obviously, you're not going to ignore a situation where someone might get hurt. You're not going to use extinction in the middle of a fight or when a student's on the roof. Two, when you cannot identify or you are not in control of the reinforcers. In order for extinction to work, you have to be able to determine the reinforcer so that you can withhold it. If you observe very carefully and you can't tell what the reinforcers are for a behavior, you wouldn't use extinction. Also, there are times when students are reinforcing the behavior. Class laughing at the class clown is an excellent example. When you're not in control of the reinforcers, therefore, you couldn't withhold them. There are also some behaviors that seem to be self-reinforcing, like cheating or stealing. When you can't withhold the reinforcers, extinction is not appropriate. The third instance in which you would not choose to use extinction is when the behavior is one that you personally can't tolerate. Each of us has different tolerances. Some of us can live with students calling out occasionally, others can't. Some of us can live with students whispering, others can't tolerate that behavior. If you can't tolerate the behavior for a short period of time, do not choose to use extinction because the chances are the behavior is going to get worse before it gets better. If you think about it from the student's point of view, this is a very predictable response. Let's look at an example of a student we're going to call Beth. Now Beth has learned that she always gets the teacher's attention by shouting, teacher, teacher. Teacher will turn to her and say, Beth, don't you remember you're supposed to raise your hand? Well, this hasn't worked. Beth keeps calling out. So the teacher decides to use extinction. The next time Beth goes, teacher, teacher, the teacher pays no attention to her. She gives her no acknowledgement in any way. Now Beth is confused. She's always gotten attention before. So what does she do? She gets a little louder. Teacher, teacher. And still, the teacher looks right past her. This time, Beth's really going to get the teacher's attention by saying, teacher, teacher. Now the teacher says, I can't handle that. And she turns around and says, Beth, what has Beth learned? Beth has learned that calling teachers softly will be ignored, but yelling it won't. So before you decide to use extinction, you must be prepared to maintain the extinction consistently and for sufficient time. If you can't, then you need to use another strategy, such as negative reinforcement or punishment. Before we stop the tape for an application activity, Let's do a quick review of extinction. First of all, the definition. Second, there are four guidelines for using extinction appropriately. You need to refer to these when you have decided to try extinguishing a behavior. There are times when its use is not appropriate. Let's stop the program now and give you a chance to determine how you can use extinction in working with your students.
The second principle of reinforcement, which can assist us in dealing with inappropriate behaviors, is called negative reinforcement. Negative reinforcement is something with which all of us are familiar. We use it on a daily basis in dealing with undesirable behaviors in our classroom. While you may use negative reinforcement frequently, you may not be aware of how it works. The theory is a bit complex, but I think it's worth the effort required to understand it. First, let's define the term. A negative reinforcer is a stimulus, something not needed or desired by the learner, whose removal increases the probability that a behavior will occur. The behavior that removes the reinforcer is strengthened. The diagram of this definition looks like this. We have a behavior followed by the removal of an undesired stimulus, which results in a strengthening of the behavior that removes the negative reinforcer. Let's look at a common example for those of us who drive a car. I get into my car and I turn on the ignition. The seatbelt buzzer sounds. That is something I do not need or desire. It's a negative reinforcer. So I fasten my seatbelt and the buzzer stops. I have removed the negative reinforcer. The behavior of fastening the seatbelt has been strengthened. Negative reinforcement works because we want to remove unpleasant stimuli. A stimulus is aversive or unpleasant if we will do something to escape or avoid it. If an action allows us to remove an unpleasant situation, then we're likely to repeat that action when faced with a similar situation. This is as true in the classroom as it is in our everyday lives. A typical example of negative reinforcement can be observed in this scene. As you watch it, see if you can identify one the undesirable behavior, two, the negative reinforcer, three, what the student did to remove the negative reinforcer, and four, which behavior has been strengthened. Chris, what kind of sentence is that? A command sentence. Yes. It's almost like a direction, isn't it? Or an order. If I said, put your books on your desk, I know all of you would take your books out and you put them right up on top of your desk. Thank you for putting your chair down. I don't want anybody to fall over backwards and hit their head on a table or somebody else's chair or desk. So please. Now let's check and see how you did. The undesirable behavior was rocking the chair. The negative reinforcer, something the student did not want, was the teacher's stare. The student removed the negative reinforcer, the teacher's stare, by putting his chair back down on the floor. The behavior which has been strengthened is sitting properly in the chair. Let's look at another example. A student is sitting in the classroom during recess, an unwanted situation. She knows that as soon as she finishes her work, she can go out. So she completes her work and she's allowed to go out to recess. She has removed the negative reinforcer. The completing of the work 
is the behavior that has been strengthened. It's important to note that in each of these examples, the student is able to remove the negative reinforcer. This is a feature which distinguishes negative reinforcement from and makes it preferable to punishment. Negative reinforcement used properly is an efficient and effective way to change behavior. However, there are two guidelines that you need to consider when using it. One, choose an appropriate negative reinforcer, and two, use negative reinforcement in conjunction with positive reinforcement. Let's look carefully at these two guidelines to see how they can assist us in using negative reinforcers correctly. Choose an appropriate negative reinforcer. To be appropriate, a negative reinforcer must be something the student does not want. It also must be something the student can remove. The teacher's stare, or the eighth grade look, is a commonly used negative reinforcer in many classrooms. Others are the threat of losing a privilege or of detention. Recall that the students who get the most attention in our classrooms are often those students who are misbehaving. Perhaps attention is what they really desire, and attention is what they are receiving. If this is the case, then it's not a negative reinforcer. It is actually positive reinforcement. We need to remember that a reinforcer is defined by its results. And we need to make certain that we are not positively reinforcing negative behavior. Use negative reinforcers in conjunction with positive reinforcers. A negative reinforcer tells a student what not to do. After using a negative reinforcer, you should immediately let the student know what the appropriate behavior is and then positively reinforce that student as soon as possible. Nancy Lawrence follows this guideline when negatively reinforcing a student who is talking too loudly. Nora, what kind of voice do we use when we're working in small groups? Whisper voices. Uh -huh. And can you show me what a whisper voice is? Can you say, this is my whisper voice? Really good one, too. Thank you. That is a really good whisper voice. I can't even hear Nora now. While negative reinforcers can be an effective way to address inappropriate behavior, they can have side effects. The first one is that negative reinforcers suppress behavior but do not necessarily eliminate it. Suppressing behavior temporarily gives the teacher the opportunity to teach the appropriate behavior and to reinforce that behavior. The second side effect is that negative reinforcement may reinforce inappropriate behavior. Let's suppose that a student is getting poor grades in a class. His parents have threatened him with being grounded if his grades do not improve. So he cheats on the test to get a good grade. What behavior has been strengthened? cheating. Before we stop and apply some of these concepts, let's review the basic components of negative reinforcement. First, let's define the term. The guidelines for using negative reinforcement are as follows. 
While negative reinforcers can be an effective way to address inappropriate behavior, they can have side effects. It's time once again to stop the program so that you can continue to work on applying this information to your own situation and your students. reactive strategy we're going to discuss is one with which we're all too familiar. The term punishment conjures up all sorts of images in our heads and may cause us to recall some rather unpleasant experiences from our childhood. However, the behavioral definition of punishment may not match your experience. The definition of punishment is a stimulus that follows a behavior and weakens it or makes it less likely to recur. So the diagram looks like this. We have a behavior. It is followed by something that the student does not need or desire. And as a result, the behavior is weakened or made less likely to recur. Punishment ranges from the mild, a verbal reprimand, to severe. We're all familiar with the forms of punishment that are sanctioned by our society. Prison, traffic fines, suspension from a job. We're also familiar with those forms of punishment sanctioned by our schools, although we may have mistakenly labeled them negative reinforcers. Let's take a few minutes to review the difference between negative reinforcement and punishment. With negative reinforcement, the student is in control. He or she can remove the negative reinforcer by changing the behavior. But this is not the case with punishment. Punishment occurs after the fact. The deed is accomplished, and there's nothing the student can do to remove it at that time. The most common forms of punishment used in schools are verbal reprimands, exclusion from an activity, timeout, detention, and suspension. In the following scene, Brenda Neal has held several of her students after class and is reprimanding them for an inappropriate behavior. People, I don't appreciate having to stay after class to work with discipline. I suspect you people don't exactly appreciate having to stay. Now, several of you put your equipment away uh, yesterday with anything but respect and I expect that equipment to be placed neatly in the cage with utmost care. Do you understand? Secondly, I expect when you leave this room to go straight to the locker room and not go through someone else's classes. It is a disruption for me, it's a disruption for the other teacher, but mostly it's a disruption for the other students. Have some respect for the other people in the school. Understand? Thank you. Let's go. In this situation, we'll assume the verbal reprimand is something the students do not desire, and the inappropriate behavior, therefore, will be weakened. If this is the case, then Brenda's punishment will be effective in changing their behavior. There are three guidelines to using punishment appropriately. First, 
select an appropriate punisher. As with positive and negative reinforcement, it is important to make certain that what you choose as a punisher is considered a punisher by the student. For example, staying in at recess would be punishment for Billy, who wanted to go out and play softball. But to Nancy, who likes to stay in the classroom with the teacher, it would be a reward. Your intent to punish or reinforce is irrelevant. What is relevant is whether or not the punishment reduces the behavior. Just like with positive reinforcers, punishment is defined by its results. Two, implement punishment calmly. It's important for two reasons, not to become emotional while punishing. First, a student may feel that the punishment is not the result of his or her behavior. It's just the teacher having a bad day. Second, getting obviously upset may trigger other students to test and see if they can get the same reaction. Using punishment unemotionally will draw the attention away from your behavior and focus it on the student's behavior. Three, never use punishment without a concurrent plan for positive reinforcement. Remember, punishment does not tell a student what to do. To teach the appropriate behavior, punishment strategies must have a positive dimension. The teacher needs to make clear what students should be doing instead and then to positively reinforce that behavior as soon as it occurs. While punishment has its place as a behavior management tool, it needs to be used carefully. More than any of the other reactive strategies, punishment has the potential to backfire. Let's look at some of the potential side effects. Punishment tells a student what to avoid, not what to do. This is similar to the problem with negative reinforcement. Punishment often teaches individuals to behave only when it's likely that they'll get caught. The classic example in adult behavior is our attitude about following the speed limit. The limits are posted very clearly, yet many of us exceed them if we think there are no police around. Students may feel the need to retaliate or get revenge. I think the following statements by students express this much better than I could. Punishment causes a resentment. It makes me resent the teacher and it makes me almost want to retort by doing something worse it, because it makes me angry with them. It's like, how, how dare you give me detention? You know, even though maybe I've done something wrong, but it makes me want to go back in that class the next day and get them back, which is wrong, but that's what it makes you think about. That's what you think about for an hour as to how you get back at somebody, which is not very good for anybody to learn. Punishers can become reinforcers. Most students need attention from adults. Many learn that if they behave as adults want them to, there's no attention. Resourceful students discover that they can get the attention they want by doing something inappropriate. Finally, one of the biggest problems with punishment is that it often just plain doesn't work, at least not as well as the more positive approaches. Listen to what these students have to say about being punished. I think that some of the things that teachers do to help students learn, or at least they try to help the students learn, is a negative discipline type, disciplinary type action. And 
I don't think that this works as well as let's say a reward well maybe not a reward but something such as encouragement from the teacher things like detention and busy work and like essays it's it just doesn't work I mean because after you get it done you're still can care less before we stop the program for a final practice activity let's review the basic components of punishment first the definition Second, we need to remember that in order for punishers to accomplish their intended results, we need to follow certain guidelines. Third, it is important to remember that punishment can have several negative side effects. When we stop the program, you will have a final opportunity to look at situations where punishment may be appropriate and to discuss the various types of punishment and the advantages and disadvantages of each. discussed reinforcement in some detail, pointing out its potential for maintaining or increasing productive behavior. The key concept we have emphasized is that the best approach is a proactive approach. Our primary strategy should always be to catch kids being good, to positively reinforce appropriate behavior by using social reinforcers, privileges, and or tangibles. Nine times out of 10, this will produce the positive environment we want for our classrooms. However, proactive teachers don't sit and wait for appropriate behaviors to occur. They use cueing and modeling to help students develop these behaviors. If and when a reactive strategy appears to be necessary, we should first ask ourselves if the behavior is one where extinction would be appropriate. If students get no reinforcement, for inappropriate behaviors, they may drop those behaviors. If for any reason extinction is not appropriate, negative reinforcement would be our next approach. We would make certain when using negative reinforcement to tell students what appropriate behavior is expected. Knowing its potential pitfalls, punishment should be used only as a last resort. All three of these reactive strategies should always be used in conjunction with the positive reinforcement of appropriate behavior. It is also critical to keep all of this in perspective. Most of us would agree that we want more than compliant, well-behaved students. Our goals for our students are much broader than that. The purpose of the unique configuration of teacher and students that make up a classroom has a specific purpose. That purpose is learning the learning of academic skills, of social behaviors, and of the mores of our culture. These learnings are not separate. They are inextricably interwoven. Reinforcement needs to be viewed as but one tool we have available that enables us to enhance students' learning in all areas.
it sure is a lot, a lot healthier, I think, for me and for the children to catch them being good than it is to turn around and point out their negative behaviors. Um, I think it's good for their self-concept. And, and again, like I said, the most, the most important thing you can do for them is to let them think that you think they're doing a great job. behavior in the classroom has long been a major concern of teachers. All of us want our classrooms to be productive places where teaching and learning are positive experiences for both us and our students. But managing the learning environment and our students' behavior are not easy jobs. Your students bring with them a wide range of past experiences, academic abilities, social skills, and self-concepts. You have little influence over what happens to students before they enter your classroom. However, both research and common experience have shown that a teacher's actions strongly influence how students' skills and abilities will be used, how they will behave in any given situation. Productive classrooms don't just happen. They're the result of what teachers do, how they interact with their students. And that's what this program is all about. We're going to explore an approach to managing student behavior. An approach that is validated by research, but more importantly, it's based on watching effective teachers as they interact with their students. It's based on the appropriate application of the principles of reinforcement. Throughout the course of this program, we're going to discuss each of these principles in some detail. We're going to talk about their appropriate use in classrooms. And we're going to show you scenes from classrooms that demonstrate their practical application. We're also going to give you numerous opportunities to discuss these principles and how they apply to your own classroom. When you think about managing student behavior, essentially you have two choices. You can wait and hope that your students will behave as you'd like them to, that they'll be responsible for their own behavior, that this will be a good year. Or you can create an environment that promotes the behaviors you desire. These choices reflect the difference between being proactive or reactive. In the ASCD program on classroom management, we explored these terms as they related to teachers' behaviors and actions in organizing and managing classrooms. We looked at the research which showed that the most effective classroom managers spent a great deal of time before school started planning their management system, planning their rules and their procedures. They also spent nearly one-third of the available time during the first days of school teaching and practicing these rules and procedures that were a part of their management system. These effective managers spent their time proactively creating a productive classroom environment 
that prevented management problems from arising rather than reactively dealing with problems after they arose. The same thing is true when we're working with student behavior. The most effective teachers are proactive, not reactive. They spend their time preventing discipline problems from arising rather than dealing with them after they arise. They do this by positively reinforcing students who are behaving appropriately, by making a conscious effort to catch kids being good. These positive interactions with students outweigh by far the negative interactions in classrooms. Listen for just a moment to Nancy Lawrence as she talks about being proactive in her classroom. Well, I hopefully, with the different types of discipline that I try to incorporate into the classroom, create a learning environment so that each child has the best opportunity possible to learn. Uh, I don't feel much learning takes place if I'm constantly handling discipline problems. So I try to use a lot of positive reinforcement so that um, those kinds of, of times are few and far between. And not a lot of academic time is taken up with that. I strongly believe that taking this kind of a proactive approach will eliminate 90 to 95 percent of the discipline problems that occur in the average classroom. Now a reactive strategy or approach may be necessary in dealing with some more difficult behavior problems. But in most instances, a proactive approach is not only preferable, it's much more effective. In order to become proficient in proactively managing student behavior, it is essential that we understand several principles of reinforcement. We're going to begin with positive reinforcement because it is the key to being proactive. Positively reinforcing a behavior is often thought of as a simple procedure. In reality, it is very complex and probably one of the most misunderstood aspects of human interaction. When used properly, a positive reinforcer can be very effective. But when used improperly, it can have effects that are just the opposite of what we desire. What is a positive reinforcer? Let's look at the definition. A positive reinforcer is a stimulus, something needed or desired by the learner, that follows a behavior and strengthens it or makes it more likely to recur. If we were to diagram this definition, it would look something like this. The behavior followed by the desired stimulus results in a behavior that is strengthened or more likely to happen again. The premise of positive reinforcement is that those behaviors that are found to be useful, that produce desired results, are more likely to be repeated. Those behaviors that do not produce desired results are seldom repeated. Simply stated, we continue what works for us, we drop what doesn't. For example, let's say a teacher gives his students an assignment. They complete the assignment quickly, quietly, and correctly. The teacher comments on how well the students worked and gives them five minutes of free time at the end of the period. The next time he gives those students an assignment, they again complete the assignment quickly, quietly, and correctly. In this case, the behavior was correctly completing the assignment. It was followed by a desired stimulus, free time. 
the result was that the behavior was repeated. Let's watch an interaction between kindergarten teacher Pam Bayless and one of her students to see another example of positive reinforcement. What did you do instead of watching TV last night? Or did you watch TV? I watched TV a little bit. You did watch it a little bit. Okay. And you went to sleep. Would you read it to me? You've got a great story down there. Would you read it to me? Thank you very much. Nice job. Think for just a minute. What was the positive reinforcer, the stimulus in this instance? If you said the teacher's attention and praise, you're exactly right. As long as the stimulus is something needed or desired by the learner, it will maintain or strengthen the behavior it follows. Whenever you see a behavior persisting over time, you can assume something the person desires is reinforcing that behavior. You all really did a good job. Thank you. You really you talked about it. Some of you argued about it. Uh, some of you came up with some. Some of you came up with some wild ideas, but you worked together, and that's good. Nobody has to do it, but you're doing an excellent job stopping them and asking. All right, keep it going. Yes, Steve. That's great. Exactly right. A little bit more to you. Mm-hmm. Those are okay. Go ahead and get that on there and we'll let our, our cook get them in the oven and set the timer and we'll be all set to go. Before we delve any further into the issue of positive reinforcement, we're going to give you an opportunity to review the information presented thus far and to apply this information to your own personal situation. First, you will be asked to provide, in your own words, a definition of a positive reinforcer. Next, We'd like you to reflect on your own behaviors. Identify something you do consistently and think about why you continue to do it. Can you identify what the reinforcer or the stimulus is? proactive sounds simple. If we want to increase students' desirable behaviors, we need to positively reinforce those behaviors when they occur. We need to make it more productive for students to behave than misbehave. But teaching is complex and fast-paced, and classrooms are busy places. During the course of the day, we often take good behavior for granted, and we neglect to recognize it when it occurs. One study showed that for every positive interaction in a classroom, there are four negative ones. That ratio, at the least, needs to be reversed. But how in the course of a busy day do you remember? Let's listen to three teachers as they talk about how they catch kids being good. And I try real hard, once I have brought it to my own attention, to pay attention to them the next time that we meet and talk to them or tell them that I appreciate what they did and thank them for that. 
and usually by the end of the week if it's really been a particularly hectic week. There may be one or two children in the room who truly never misbehave and I'll, you know, I think back over it and realize that those kids got practically no attention all week long. I like to catch kids coming into the classroom and uh, at the end of a session when I can sit back and say, hey, I didn't talk to so-and-so, then I try and make it a point the next day as they're coming to the classroom to notice something positive about that child. Uh, also during the class, uh, no matter how minute, I will try and um, find something that that child is doing correct, or correctly rather, and um, point it out. I think when you look back on a class period and think about how things went, it's very easy to feel the tone of how that class went. And if it was a positive class and I feel good about it, it's because I caught kids being good. And the times when I have a class that I don't feel good about, I have ignored those behaviors and chosen to give my attention to the negative ones. I think we as teachers have a choice to make. We can either concentrate on what's good and what pleases us and what we want to occur, or we can give the attention to the negative. And it just takes a conscious effort, a very conscious effort. It's very difficult to do. Every once in a while, I hear someone say, I tried positively reinforcing students, and it didn't work. Think about that statement for just a moment. If indeed, you were using positive reinforcement, it would have to work. Because by definition, a positive reinforcer is something that follows a behavior and strengthens that behavior or makes it more likely to recur. Why is it then that what we use as positive reinforcers sometimes seem to have an opposite effect to what we intended? It's because there are many types of reinforcement. Each of us has our own preferred reinforcers. What is pleasant to one may be unpleasant to another. What is needed by one may not be needed by another person. Let's take an example. Let's talk about a student we're going to call Junior High Jan. Now, Junior High Jan is very self-conscious and very shy. She wants more than anything to be seen as one of the gang, to be cool. Jan's also an excellent student. And she's written a very good paragraph. The teacher likes this paragraph so well that she decides to read it in front of the entire class. Jan is mortified. She makes certain that she never writes anything that good again. Now what happened in this case? The teacher thought she was positively reinforcing Jan. What happened is that the teacher chose an inappropriate reinforcer. She chose something that Jan did not need and certainly did not desire. If we were to diagram the interaction between Jan and the teacher, it would look like this. We have the behavior, writing a good paragraph, followed by undesired stimulus, the teacher's reading it in front of the class, which resulted in a weakening of the behavior. As we'll see later, this is the diagram of punishment not at all what the teacher intended. What we see is that the teacher's action then is neither positive or negative in and of itself. It's the student's interpretation of the teacher's action that makes it one or the other. As I think back on my own experience as a teacher, 
I realized that often the students who were engaging in inappropriate behavior got the most attention. Without realizing it, what I was doing was positively reinforcing negative behavior. Think for just a moment. Can you think about students who are continually sent to the principal's office for the same offense? Or students who have checks after their name on the board day in and day out for the same inappropriate behavior? Could it be that in some way the trip to the office or the name on the board is positively reinforcing that behavior, even though it doesn't seem like it to us? Listen to what this fifth grade student has to say. When I get punished, I think I feel like I'm embarrassed because you're getting yelled at, and some, but sometimes it makes you feel good because you're getting more attention. So you can see that a stimulus does not have to be what we consider positive in order to strengthen or maintain a behavior. Disagreements, reprimands, arguments can all serve to positively reinforce behavior. It's as if the student is saying, I don't care what you do to me, just don't ignore me. The importance of selecting an appropriate reinforcer cannot be overemphasized. We're going to stop the program now and give you an opportunity to discuss this issue. what a positive reinforcer is and how positive reinforcers strengthen the behavior that they follow. Now let's look at some different types of reinforcers and how we can use them in the classroom. The three types of reinforcers are social reinforcers, privileges, and tangibles. Let's take a look at these individually social reinforcers. They include attention, praise, smiles, physical contact, and other forms of human interaction. You're familiar with these. You use them in your classroom all the time, and they can be extremely powerful when used well. Social reinforcers are preferable over the other two because they are more readily available, they don't cost anything, and they're actually closer to what students are going to find in real life. Let's take a look in a classroom. See how many different kinds of social reinforcers you observe. Good, 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 good. How are you today, Ms. Schiffler? Hi. All right. Keep working. When does the homework package get turned in? And after you've answered that, get up and show us where we put any homework. That's a two-part question. Who can handle both parts? Joshua. Comes in Friday. Yay, let's give him a silent yell. 
Now, the second part of that fortune cookie was, show me where we put our homework. Can you walk slowly so they can follow you? And I know you know the answer. Thanks, Josh. Good job. Boy, everyone looks like you're ready for small groups. Trey, how can I tell that you're ready for small groups? Because I'm saying kindergarten style. Okay, I can tell that Jennifer's ready for small groups too because she's doing something else. What else are you doing that shows me that you're ready for small groups? You bet. Good for you. This morning, we're going to play a game. While social reinforcers can be very effective, there are potential problems if they're not used well. Praise is one of the most commonly used social reinforcers in our classrooms. Unfortunately, praise is not always given appropriately. Earlier, in the example of Junior High Jan, we saw the problem with praise being given when it was not desired. Simply handing out compliments will not necessarily improve the behavior in the classroom. To be effective, praise should, one, clearly specify the behavior being reinforced, two, be sincere, and three, be desired by the student. We violate these conditions when we forget to clearly specify the behaviors we are praising. Nice paper and good work do not clearly specify for students the behaviors they need to continue. In a study, Jerry Brophy found that this type of specific praise occurs only about 5% of the time. As her second and third graders practice punctuating sentences, Nancy Lawrence uses specific praise to reinforce her students. That is exactly right. Capital letter, period, at the end. Your sentence makes sense. Wonderful. Perfect, perfect. Now, I want you to, to look at each other's sentences. They're different, but do they mo both make sense? Are both of them right? They're both right. You just have one word that's in a different place. But they're both command sentences, and you're starting with capital letters, you're ending with periods. They all make sense. Nice job. A second problem with praise stems from the use of I. When we say, I like the way the students in the back table are all ready for lunch, or I really do like what you've done on this paper, we may be creating what one researcher has called praise junkies, students who are dependent upon someone else to tell them if their work is any good. Instead, we should be saying things like, the students at the last table are showing me that they know how to sit, or this paper received a very high mark. It's excellent. Can you tell me why? These kinds of statements focus students in on their own performance instead of depending on someone else. Privileges are a second type of positive reinforcer. They provide the teacher with a great variety of potential reinforcers that can be tailored to individual students' preferences. Free time, tutoring younger students, listening to music, working with a friend, having lunch with the teacher, and being allowed to play a game are all examples of privileges. To discover students' preferred activities, 
Watch what they do when they have free time. Or better yet, ask them what they like to do. Remember, the privilege that works for one student may not work for another. The way I go about privileges is at the beginning of the year, I sort of have to, to get the feel of the group as far as what kind of privileges um, are they can, that they consider privileges. Um, one group might consider going and reading a book as a privilege uh, it, wherever they want or with a friend. Another group uh, would not consider that a privilege, although I, I certainly encourage that because I think that's good free time. Um, has a lot to do with how children behave. So I'll, I'll say the whole group. If you can work hard this morning, then we'll take some extra outside time. It's beautiful out there. Let's get our work done today. And then this afternoon we can go out. The more alternatives you have in your repertoire, the easier it will be for you to quickly select appropriate reinforcers that will serve to strengthen the behavior. Tangibles are a third type of positive reinforcer. Examples are stickers, food, inexpensive toys, or tokens. Tangibles are really the least desirable of the positive reinforcers and should be used as a last resort when social reinforcers or privileges have not seemed to work. The research has shown that average to fast students value social reinforcers more than those students who have learning difficulties. With the latter, Tangibles may be effective in the initial stages of learning. In this next scene, Nancy Lawrence uses tangible reinforcers, but makes them exchangeable we for privileges. Sharing, with our good apple board, what happens at the end of the week? Rebecca? We, um, everybody who, whoever gets the most stickers gets to pick a thing to do. And what are the three things that you selected that that person would get to choose from? You get to pick one of them. Do you remember all three? You have a good memory then. Let's see if you can remember all three. Half an hour on the computer by yourself. Pick one of the jobs to do or no homework on one night. For one night. If tangible reinforcers are used, they should always be paired with social reinforcers. And an effort should be made to wean students away from them as soon as possible. Before we stop the tape for an application activity, let's do a quick review of positive reinforcement. Let's look at the definition. A positive reinforcer is We've discussed three major types of positive reinforcers. Social reinforcers, privileges, and tangibles. Social reinforcers, they include Privileges are a second type of positive reinforcer. They include Tangibles are a third type of positive reinforcer. Now we're going to show you several short classroom vignettes. I'd like you to take a few notes as you watch each one, 
and be ready to tell which type or types of positive reinforcers you see being used and to discuss the reactions of the students to these reinforcers. Go! That's better. It's a good roll, Mike. One more time. Go! That's nice, Michelle. You have it there. Ready? Good wrist action. Go! All right. Speed it up. Ones, you're attacking. Let's go from the in to the out again. That's it, Michelle. Roll in there. Go! I don't think anybody will refuse to eat it because it's not shaped exactly right. Uh-oh, what happened? Okay, let's not pick it up with our hands because we don't want to cut our fingers, okay? A broom would be the exact thing to use. Let's see if we can find one. Aha! I'll tell you what. Okay. All right, let's just stand back so Cindy can get this. Okay. Cindy, thanks for being willing to clean that up. You didn't even drop it, did you? That's part of being in a group where we all just pitch in and make the best of it. Let's see here. I'm going to ask Trey to go over and get the clipboards, please. And I asked Trey to get the clipboards because he was sitting just perfectly still, sitting kindergarten style. Thank you. Why every Friday do we have a treat? What do you do every week to earn that treat? Carissa? I work. You work. Ricky? You the classroom rules. You always pay attention in class. Did you have a good week last week? Yes. You worked really great today. And while we're doing that, who can tell me why you think class was successful today in being able to complete this lab so quickly and so efficiently? Is there anyone who has a good reason why you think you were able to do this today as well as you did? Megan. We worked together. You did work together. Another reason. Adele. Because we were quiet. You were quiet. You were quiet, weren't you? We didn't. We didn't talk as much. Right. Some days when we've done labs, we found it difficult to get cleaned up in a class period, didn't you? Okay. Are there any other reasons? Was there any motivation today that you don't normally have for the end of class? Kip. That we would be able to drink what we weighed. All right, good, good. I agree with that. Okay, you've, you've come up with some really neat thinking and answers. talking about a lot of ways to positively reinforce the behaviors we desire. But what if that behavior never occurs? We've all had the experience of students who come into our classrooms with a large repertoire of inappropriate behaviors. And no matter how long or how carefully we watch these students, 
we don't find any behavior that we can positively reinforce. The proactive teacher knows it doesn't work to sit and wait and hope that eventually the student will do something that you can positively reinforce. He or she spends time helping students develop new behaviors. There are two approaches we can use to develop new behaviors, cueing and modeling. Cueing may be a new term for you, but it's probably something that you use in your classroom a lot. What cueing is, is a reminder of appropriate behavior prior to the activity. Too often, we wait until students do something undesirable, and then we say, when are you going to remember not to run in the hall? Or when are you going to remember not to chew gum in this class? Establishing a non-judgmental cue ahead of time, letting students know what the appropriate behavior is before the activity, avoids these kinds of negative confrontations. Letting students know what they are to do ahead of time so you can positively reinforce the appropriate behavior is much better than waiting until later and punishing inappropriate behavior. Jackie Lewis uses cueing to increase the probability that she will be able to positively reinforce her students' transition from one class to, to another. To I want somebody to tell me how it is you get ready to go to lunch before you ever leave the classroom. Carissa. Quietly. Quietly. Okay. Sean. What you, what do you, what else? To walk down through the halls. To walk in the halls. Ricky? Um, before that, we must clear everything off our desk, turn off, turn our folders, turn our folders in and give you any work that we forgot to give you this morning. Very good point. Turn your folders in before you leave so that I have them to check everything that needs to be done. Anything else? Cueing is most appropriate for those behaviors where students are capable of performing a behavior but forget. Without cueing, we might never have the opportunity to positively reinforce some students because they might never remember to perform the behavior. A second way of developing new behaviors is by modeling. Effective teachers use modeling all the time when helping students work a math problem or write a paragraph. But modeling can also be very effective in helping students develop new behaviors. Throughout this tape, you're going to see examples of teachers who understand that the double standard in the classroom doesn't work. They know that students observe their behavior very carefully and that their actions speak at least as loudly as their words. And then it's your job to go over here and to squeeze, squeeze the gold tip and remove the scissors. Walk back to your desk, of course, with the scissors like this. Because no one walks with the scissors like this in third grade. Why do you think no one walks with the scissors like this? Patrick. Because you might poke someone in the eye or you might fall down and hit yourself on your arm or you are your, um, any parts of your body? Absolutely. Safety reasons. And we certainly never talk at anyone like this. What am I doing wrong now?
Natasha. Waving the scissors, and you can might you can might you can <clears throat> probably scratch somebody in the face. Exactly. And we are very safety conscious when we use scissors, so we're not going to do this when we leave our desks and have to go over there and come back. We walk with the scissors like this. We're going to stop the program now and give you an opportunity to brainstorm some ways in which you could use cueing and modeling to develop new behaviors in your students. Thus far in this program, we've advanced the proposition that being proactive, using positive reinforcers or catching kids being good, can eliminate 90 to 95 percent of the discipline problems that occur in the average classroom. But what about the other 5 to 10 percent? In the second portion of this program, we're going to move to the other side of the diagram and discuss the remaining three principles of reinforcement. Extinction, negative reinforcement, and punishment. Now, it's important to note that the term reactive is not synonymous with ineffective or wrong. Extinction, negative reinforcement, and punishment are all perfectly legitimate strategies. We're not saying that positive reinforcement is good, negative reinforcement is bad. Effective teachers know when and how to use both. The point we're emphasizing is that a proactive approach greatly reduces the need to use the other reactive strategies. Let's begin our exploration of the reactive strategies by listening to Pam Bayless as she talks about a strategy she uses frequently in her kindergarten class. Um, for children that I know really will do anything to get attention, I try to ignore that behavior. If, if it's something that, that if they're just repeating my name over and over again, or they're, they're talking out and drowning other children out, I'll do my level best to pretend they're not even there until they are doing something that I can praise them for. And then turn my attention to them and say, what a great job you're doing. You, you remember to raise your hand or um, thank you for sitting so quietly. Is there something you wanted to say now? The strategy that Pam is talking about is called extinction, and it can be defined as a procedure in which a new behavior or a behavior that was previously reinforced is not reinforced in any way. To understand how extinction works, let's go back to the diagram we used to illustrate how we inadvertently reinforce negative behavior. We have a behavior a negative behavior, followed by a stimulus that the student desires, which will strengthen that behavior even though it is negative. That's why students continue with inappropriate behavior, because somehow that behavior, even though negative, is being reinforced. With extinction, the diagram changes in this way. We have a behavior, extinction is applied, or no reinforcement is given and the behavior decreases.
The rationale behind extinction is that we don't continue to do things that don't work for us. Now, extinction can be effective in eliminating undesirable behaviors. However, to work well, there are four guidelines that we need to consider. The first one is, identify all the major sources of reinforcement. You've got to determine what is reinforcing that behavior. There may be more than one. It could be that your attention is the reinforcer. Could be that the attention of the students is a reinforcer. It could be both. The second guideline, withhold all reinforcement when the undesirable behavior occurs. You must pretend that the student is not there. Don't acknowledge that student in any way, not verbally or non-verbally. Don't let your voice get tense or upset. This could be enough to be a reinforcer. Third, you must maintain extinction consistently and for a sufficient time. Consistency is very important. You want the student to understand that they will receive no reinforcement for their misbehavior. It's important because the behavior may get worse before it gets better. And the fourth guideline is combine extinction with positive reinforcement. Just as you have given the student a message that there will be no reinforcement or attention for misbehavior, you also want the student to know that they will receive attention or reinforcement for appropriate behavior. It's important to be careful and catch kids being good as soon as you see appropriate behavior. Let's watch this interaction between Pam Bayless and one of her students to see how she uses extinction. You played a game on TV? Was it Atari? Uh -huh. Okay. Then you'll need to write write that down. Me and Dad. And she, you can the show boys, me. Draw me a picture too. Me and Dad. Me, me and Dad. Last night I listened to my radio. Okay. That was a different idea. Instead of watching TV, you listen to your radio. So what are you going to write down on there? How do you think you would write radio? Radio. Okay. You write it down. And don't forget to use a sentence too. I listened to my radio. Thanks, Me and my radio. dad went out with the guys. Out with the guys? Yeah. What did you do out with the guys? Now let's look at this scene again in terms of the four guidelines for using extinction. The first one was, was identify all major okay. sources of reinforcement. Write, write that down. Me and dad and she, you can show voice. me. Draw me a picture too. Pam has observed the student carefully and has determined that her attention appears to be the only source of reinforcement. Two, withhold all sources of reinforcement when the undesired behavior occurs. Note that Pam does not acknowledge the student when he tries to get her attention. She looks past him and speaks to a student who had her hand raised. Three, maintain extinction consistently and for a sufficient time. When the student doesn't get the teacher's attention the first time, he tries again. Pam continues to listen carefully and to talk to the other student. I listen to my radio. Okay, that was a different idea. Instead of watching TV, you listen to your radio. So what are you gonna write down on there? How do you think you would write radio? Radio, okay. You write it down. And don't forget to use a sentence too. I listened to my radio. Thanks for Me and my, my dad 
We're out with the guys. Out with the guys. Four. Combine extinction with positive reinforcement. Notice, however, that as soon as the student stops interrupting, however, that as soon as the student stops 